Thanks for tuning in to Dream City Omaha Online. Connect further with us by downloading the Dream City Omaha app or finding us on Facebook and Instagram. Don't forget to subscribe for more. Last week, I uh, was not able to, to be with you as we continued in our chronological Bible reading plan. We've been going through the Bible together since January. And, uh, and so we, we, at this point, the, the Israelites are in the promised land. They have, have conquered part of the land. We read in Joshua how that the tribes were not able to, to conquer, to subdue all of the land. When God was giving them their final instructions before they went in, he told them, make sure you drive out all the inhabitants. Somebody say all the inhabitants. But they get there and they drive out some of the inhabitants. Sometimes even most of the inhabitants, but there are still original inhabitants of the land. Now, God's command to them was to drive them out because if you leave them, they will be a thorn in your side. They will teach you to worship their gods. They will, you will start to live according to their customs and to, to, to their structure. And we see that happen time and time again. Last week, a, a good friend of mine, Pastor Andy Kaup from Bellevue Christian Center was here. He, he brought the word and he, he took us from Joshua into the book of Judges. And we looked at this, this cycle of sin in the book of Judges. How that they, they sin, they turn from God, they start worshiping other gods. And, and after that, God sends these, these people to, to kind of persecute the Israelites, sends famine in their land. It's all of the consequences of sin. How many know there's consequences for our sin? Right? There is forgiveness of our sin and Jesus forgives us, but there are still consequences in the natural that have to be paid for, for some of our mistakes and some of our, some of our actions. And so they sin, there's consequences, and then God raises up a judge or a deliverer to, to deliver the, the people of Israel. They repent and then there's this time of peace. And we see this cycle play out time and time again as these different judges are raised up. And Pastor Andy last week told us that compromise always has a cumulative effect. Yeah. One little compromise leads to another compromise, leads to another, to another, to another. We don't just see that in the book of Judges. We see that also in the life of King David, who when the, the kings were normally at war, he decided to stay at home and take a nap. And getting up from his afternoon nap, he goes out on his balcony and sees this woman taking a bath and inquires of who she is. Oh, that's, that's his wife. Well, bring her to me and has relations with this woman and gets this woman pregnant, then seeks to kill her husband, not once, but twice. And so this, this compromise, even though it seems small in the beginning, will always lead to something. And Pastor Andy told us, don't make deals with what you're called to drive out the sin and those things in our lives that we need to remove. So oftentimes we make deals with those. Did you appreciate Andy's word last week? It was, man, it was a, it was a great message. And I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you that, that when I have my friends come and, and preach, you guys, you love on them and you, you honor them. And you guys are such a great uh, representation and, uh, and everybody that I talk to, like, how was it? How was service? How are the, how are the people? Everyone comes back to me and says, you have an amazing group of people. You've got an amazing church and that's you guys. And so I just want to say thank you for, for honoring him last week. Today, we're going to continue. We're, we've walked out of Judges. We've, we've ended the book of Judges. We read this week the story of a woman named Ruth, and then we started in 1 Samuel. Next week is Easter, and I know you're already beginning to think, well, are we going to, are we going to keep doing the chronological plan? Are we, going to, are we going to pause the chronological plan? What are we going to do? Come and find out. <laughs> and invite your friends and family to come and find out as well. We will stay in the chronological plan. We'll be looking at David and Goliath, but then also how that is a foreshadowing to, to Christ's victory and the ultimate victory found in Jesus Christ. And so, so we, we, we've entered into 1 Samuel, but I want us to, to focus on the story of a woman named Ruth today. We've read Ruth this week, and if you're not following along in the Bible reading plan, I'll give you kind of a, a brief overview of the entire book of Ruth today. And it's not like Leviticus, it's not like Deuteronomy, it's four short chapters. And so as we, we look at Ruth, there are, there are so many principles, so many lessons to be learned 
in the story of Ruth that I don't have time today to highlight them all or to bring them all out, which is why I would encourage you to follow along in the Bible reading plan with us. But Ruth chapter one, we're going to begin reading in verse number one. And this is what the Bible says, that in the days when the judges ruled in Israel, so here the, the author is setting the, setting the scene and giving us context as to the timeline when this is happening. So this, this story, the story of Ruth is happening during the time of the judges. Some scholars believe it was during the time of Gideon. Some believe it was during the time of Jair. We don't know exactly which judge was ruling at this time, but we know that this is the time of, of moral relativism in Israel, where everyone did what they thought was right. It was this cycle of, of sin, persecution, repentance, and peace. And so during this time, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab. Now Moab is outside of the promised land. It's to the east of Israel. It's where the, the Israelites were led by Moses up through the plains of Moab and they camped there before they crossed the Jordan River into the promised land. So they, they go across the Jordan River into Moab. He takes with him his wife and two sons. This man's name was Elimelech. Now that's, that, that name means my God is king. This man's name was Elimelech and his wife's name was Naomi and their two son, sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. Then verse three, Elimelech died. Sweet, awesome, great start. Elimelech died and, and Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah, not Oprah, but the R's before the P, Orpah. And the other married a woman named Ruth. But about 10 years later, both Malon and Kilion died. So first Elimelech dies, they get married. And then two years later, the, or excuse me, 10 years later, the, the two boys die as well. And it says that this left Naomi without her two sons or her husband. So now it's Naomi. Now it's Orpah and it's Ruth. It's these, these three women together who have all been widowed. And to be a widow would be, would be bad enough in today's society or today's culture. But when you understand the ancient Near East culture in context, this was essentially either one, a death sentence for them, or two, a sentence to, to slavery and indentured servitude the rest of their lives. Because without a, a male figure in the family, there was nobody to protect. There was nobody to provide. These women are now left, they're now left jobless. They're left homeless. They're left foodless. And their pets' heads are falling off. That is the situation that these women find themselves in. And the rest of the story of Ruth kind of plays out like Sleepless in Seattle. If you remember that Tom Hanks movie where he loses his wife and him and his son, they, they move from Chicago to Seattle. He ends up meeting this lady. That's kind of how the story of Ruth plays out. Whereas Joshua is an epic war movie that every guy wants to see in the theaters just because the screen is bigger and the sound is louder. The story of Ruth kind of plays out like a romantic drama. Now, fellas, don't get up and leave, it's okay. You're going to want to stay here for this. But that's kind of how the, the story plays out. And so, so Naomi comes to the two, her two daughters-in-law and says, hey, I, I'm going to go back home. I'm going to go back to my people. I'm going to go back to Judah, to Bethlehem. Why don't you guys stay here with your people, stay with your father, stay with your mother, find other husbands that can now take care of you? They said, no, we're going with you. And Naomi says, no, seriously, you guys need to stay here. So Orpah was like, all right, deuces, you didn't have to twist my arm too hard. But Ruth responds a little bit differently. Now we're going to skip down a little bit to verse number 16. Here's Ruth's response to Naomi. Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Oh, uh-oh. She says, wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live, your people will be my people, your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. This is like, this is a strong-willed woman. This is a woman who's not going to take nothing off of nobody. Some of you are like, I know women like that. 
She says, may the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. And when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. Let's pray for our time together this morning. God, we thank you. We love you. God, thank you for your word today. Thank you for your presence that's here in our midst today. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would, you would do whatever it is that you want to do in our hearts and in our lives today. God, as we study your word, may it not just be words on a page, but we thank you that it is the living, active, breathing word of the Lord, sharper than any two-edged sword. And so, God, I pray that the things that need to be cut out of our lives today would be cut out. The things that need to be deposited in our hearts would be deposited. We surrender and we submit ourselves to you and to your word and ask you to have your way in our lives. In Jesus, said, in Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. The story of Ruth is a great story, and I, I love great stories. I love to read great stories. How many of you guys like reading great stories? There's nothing better than, you know, than reading a, a great story, one that you can't, you can't help but just keep turning the page. You ever read a book like that where you just don't even want to put it down and the next thing you know, you look up and it's been six hours and you're already almost done with the book? I love to, to hear great stories. I love to tell great stories. Oftentimes on a Sunday after I'm done preaching, I'll be out in the foyer and someone will come up to me and just, you know, the way you tell stories is just, is incredible. I love the way that you, you tell stories. It's probably the native in me. As, as a native, we are storytelling people. And so, so I love to tell great stories. I love to hear great stories. Have you ever heard a not so great story? You ever had somebody come to you like, hey, I've got this great story, and then they tell you, and it's like, yeah, that wasn't that great. <laughs> Those of you that have been at Dream City for a while, Dream City OGs, you know I've, I've helped you out with this, but if you're new to Dream City, I want to help you out as well. If somebody comes to you and is like, hey, I've got this really great story, you're not going to believe what happened. I got home from school today, and I went in the fridge, and I wanted some leftovers, so I put the plate in the microwave, and I heated it up, and it was bubbling on the inside, and then when I took it out, I took a bite, and it was still cold. Can you believe that? What a crazy story. Like, that wasn't that great of a story. That happens to all of us. Like that, you just described my Tuesday. Thank you. Like, if you ever tell a story and then the other person's face is telling you very clearly that your story was not as awesome as you thought your story was, and then you get to the end of your story and it's like, that's all I have. Here's any way, surefire way to save your terrible story. At the end of your story, if you recognize it's not a good story, just add, and then I found $5. Again, those of you that have been at Dream City, you know I've, I've given you this piece of advice before. We got a lot of new people, so I want to help you guys out as well. You tell a bad story like, yeah, I took a bite and it was cold. And the other person's like, so? And then you say, but then I found $5. And like, oh man, that's crazy. Like, that's awesome. What a great story. <laughs> See, to this point in our Bible reading, we've read some incredible stories. We've read about Abraham and the covenant that God makes with Abraham and the promise to, as an old man, make his descendants as great as the sand on the seashore and the stars in the heavens. That I'm going to make you into a great people. We, we, we read the story of Noah in the ark, how that God saved humanity through this one family and he builds this ark and through God's grace and his provision, he, he protects Noah in his family and gives him the, the covenant at the end of that with the rainbow saying, I'll never again flood the entire earth. We read the story of Joseph and this young man who was given a dream by God and, and the 21 years it took from the time he, he got the dream to the fulfillment of the dream, but God used him no matter where he was, and God ultimately used him to protect and provide for his people during a time of incredible famine. We read the story of Moses, this Hebrew boy who was raised in the Egyptian palace, who God would use as the deliverer to set free almost two million people from slavery in Egypt. We read the story of Joshua and the one who would lead them into this land promised to them and the walls of Jericho come down and it's victory after victory after victory and miraculous event after miraculous event. We read the story of, of Gideon and this man who was the least in his clan, yet God raised him up as a judge to deliver the nation of Israel during a time of apostasy as they're walking away from God. And the army goes from 33,000 to 300 into the natural eye. It's like, you don't stand a chance, but that 
that's when the odds are never more in our favor when God is behind us. We read the story of Ehud, and I love Ehud, killing King Eglon in the book of Judges. And he escapes. How does he escape? Down through the latrine and through the sewer. He was the original Andy Dufresne. We've read story after story of all of these incredible events taking place. And we read the story of Ruth. And Ruth is an incredible story. It's a story of a Moabite woman, a foreign woman, a descendant from the line of Abraham's nephew, Lot, who marries a Jewish man and her husband dies and her father-in-law dies and her brother-in-law dies. And now it's just the three of them. In chapter one of the book of Ruth, we, we see these women confronted with death and tragedy. So Naomi and Ruth decide to go back to the land of Judah. In chapter two, we see Ruth working in the field of a man named Boaz. Now, let me just let you in on a little secret. This, this story of Ruth and Naomi and the story of Ruth and Boaz is not the story of you finding your Boaz, young lady. It's not what this book is about. It's not about finding that one, finding that man, but we need to understand that Boaz is a picture of Christ, the one who redeems, the, the kinsman redeemer. And so in chapter two, we see Ruth working behind uh, the harvesters in the field of a man who owned it. The man's name was Boaz, and she was walking behind the harvesters during barley season. And she was picking up any of the grain that they left behind. And, and we have to understand, according to customs and context, what was going on here. Because there was no man in their family. There was no man in her life to provide. There was no man to, to buy the food and to, to work the fields and to do the jobs. And so as a widow, what they would do is they would walk behind the harvesters and everything that was left or dropped or forgotten, they were able to then pick up and keep for themselves. We read about this in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 24. Here, as, as they're getting ready to go into the, to the promised land, God gives them these final commands. He says, when you're harvesting your crops and forget to bring in a bundle of grain, don't go back and get it, leave it for the foreigners, the orphans, and the widows. Then the Lord your God will bless you in all you do. So that's what's taking place here. Boaz and his men are harvesting the crop from this field, Ruth, who is a, a widow at this point with nobody to provide, she's walking behind the harvesters gathering grain. Boaz notices her. Boaz comes to his, his guys and he says, hey, fellas, who's the new girl? Who's the new girl over there? And they're like, oh, that's Ruth. She came back with, with Naomi. You remember Elimelech? Yeah, I know Elimelech. He's a relative of mine. Yeah, he passed away. So they, they moved back. And he's like, okay. All right. He goes and introduces himself to her. Like, hey, what's up, girl? <laughs> How you doing? Yeah, listen, just, just don't worry about harvesting in anybody else's field. You work in my field. Stay here, work behind my harvesters. Anything you pick up, that's yours. Don't worry about going anywhere else. You, you stay here. So then he goes back to his boys and he's like, hey, fellas, when you're harvesting, just go ahead and drop a bundle every now and then for her. Now listen, I don't know about you, but the way to my heart, like if there was somebody that was like just dropping Chipotle burritos, <laughs> like you want to know how Angel got me? She was just walking around with Chipotle everywhere she went. He says, just drop a bundle of grain for her, let her pick it up, and then don't give her a hard time. Just let her, just let her harvest here. In chapter three, we see Ruth and she visits Boaz one evening, and it's kind of one of those weird texts that if you don't understand, it's just like, what just happened? She goes to him at night after the harvest, and the Bible says she uncovers his feet and lays at his feet. You came into my bedroom in the middle of the night, and you uncovered my feet, you're probably getting kicked, number one. Because how many of you know anything that's left outside of the cover is free game for the boogeyman that's hiding under your bed? <laughs> you can't let your hand hang off the side of the bed because in the middle of the night, you're going to wake up and someone's just there tickling it. <laughs> she uncovers his feet, lays at his feet. He wakes up and she says, spread your covering over me. We'll get to what that signifies and what that means in a little bit. But essentially what he does is, is he agrees. And, and essentially this was her going like Sadie Hawkins on him and, and proposing marriage to him. She went to him and, and essentially what she's doing in that moment is saying, will you redeem me? Will you marry me? Will you buy me back? 
He agrees. In chapter 4, we see the culmination of this beautiful story of love and faithfulness and redemption. As he agrees, they get married. They have a son named Obed, who, by the way, just happens to be the grandfather of King David. And Ruth now, not only is she redeemed temporarily, not only is she redeemed during the course of her life, but now God has orchestrated and arranged it so that her, her lineage, her descendants will be the, the line of kings. Not just earthly kings, but the line that produces the king of kings. Her descendants will be traced all the way to Jesus and Jesus's birth. And it's an incredible story. It's a great story. There's, there's three things today that I want to pull out of this story to encourage you with today. I wanted to bring an encouraging word to you today because I feel like the last two months have just been like, huh, huh, right? Like we read, we read in Deuteronomy, like there's, there's blessing for obedience and then there's curse for disobedience. Don't be disobedient. It's like, okay. Like we're just having things ripped out of us left and right. And then we read Joshua and Akinson and him and his family die. It's like, okay, God, anything that I'm not giving to you, God, take it from me. And then we see judges in this pattern of behavior that mimics our own lives. And it's like, God, like, I just feel like I'm being like beat up left and right. How many you know sometimes the word can do that to you? And sometimes that's a good thing, right? The, the reason he disciplines us is because he loves us. No discipline is pleasing at the moment, but in time it will produce a harvest of righteousness. And so we've been, we've been kind of like on this, on this journey together and I was praying this week like, God, let's just, let's encourage them today. So he said, okay, let's encourage them. And today as we, we look at the story of Ruth, three things that I want to encourage you with. And the first one is this, that we have to, number one, trust in God's providence. Trust in his providence. Now, now, Ruth is an interesting book. It's, it's one of two books named after women. It's the only book named after a non-Jewish woman. But as you read the book of Ruth, you will not see any waters being parted. You will not see any walls coming down. You will not see, in fact, the author of the book of Ruth rarely even mentions God. But just because God isn't mentioned directly and just because we don't see miraculous signs does not mean that God wasn't moving in the story of Ruth. See, God can move in one of two ways in your life. God can move miraculously or God can move providentially. Now, what is the difference? The difference is when God moves miraculously, he comes down and he inserts the supernatural and uses supernatural in the natural realm. The parting of the Red Sea, that was a miraculous event because it was, it was God using supernatural to override the natural. The walls coming down to Jericho was a miraculous event. God's using the supernatural to override the natural. That is when God moves miraculously in your life. One day you go to the doctor and there's cancer everywhere. The next day you go back and they can't find anything. What is that? That's God miraculously moving in your life and on your behalf. Or God can move providentially. What, is, what does that mean? That means this, that God, in his wisdom, he uses the natural events that are happening around you and weaves together his plan, his purpose, and his desire. It's essentially Romans chapter 8, that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so God's not, God's not reaching down and giving you a miracle, but God says, don't, be, don't, don't worry, I'm still directing things. And no matter which way you go, and no matter what happens, and no matter how they respond, I can use that, and I can, I can still have a way of getting you to exactly where I want you to be. There are times that I look back on my life and I'm thankful for, for the miraculous. But I think I'm more grateful for the providence of God. 
for the provision of God. For God taking my wrong turn and recalculating my route and still managing to get me up. You talk to, talk to Jonah. Jonah had both. Jonah had miraculous and Jonah had providential, but, but we need to understand that we have to trust in God's providence. It goes back to God's provision. Matthew chapter six, don't worry about what you'll eat or what you'll drink or what you'll wear. Your heavenly father knows what you have need of. And if he provides for the flowers and he provides for the birds, how much more will he provide for you? And he closes this idea by saying, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. That's God's providence. He will watch out for you. He will direct your path. He will direct your steps. And even when you're hit with the left, he'll come back and he'll find a way to get you right where he wants you to be. Now, here's where we miss it. Because we can, we can talk about miraculous and we can talk about providence. And we love to quote verses of God's provision. But where we miss it is when we think that that removes all responsibility from off of our shoulders. We miss it when we think, well, God's going to provide. The Bible says not to worry about what I'm going to eat or wear. So I'm just going to quit my job and let God provide. That's stupid. Don't do that. Right? Well, God, God said he's going to give me the desires of my heart. First of all, you're using that verse incorrectly. Because the desires of your heart are wicked. The heart is, is, is deceitful. What that verse means is that God will replace your desires with the desires that line up with his desires. So now you'll begin pursuing different things. God, give me place inside, deposit in me the desires of my heart. We read verses like this and it's like, well, God's going to provide, so it doesn't matter what I do. No, it does matter what you do. And we see that in the book of Ruth. Yes, God is working providentially and he's arranging and he's organizing and he's weaving together the, the natural events that are taking place, but his hand of providence is there with them and he's weaving it. But you never see Ruth and Naomi like, well, let's just sit here until God does something. Like, God, I need a miracle. No, you just need to do what you need to do and let God work it out. We spend so much time waiting on God's miraculous that we forget about God's providence. But as we look at the book of Ruth, the beginning of every chapter starts with a plan. It's interesting. Go back and read it. The beginning of every chapter starts with a plan. In chapter one, we see Ruth in verse six. Naomi heard that the Lord blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. Remember, this is during the time of the judges. So when they left, it was probably a time of disobedience. This judge rose up, the, the nation repented. Now God's, God's blessing is back on them. So she says, let's go back. Let's, let's leave Moab and let's return to Judah. What is that? That's a plan. You look at chapter two, go to the next one. Chapter two, verse two, one day Ruth says to Naomi, hey, I got an idea. Let me go out into the harvest fields and pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who is kind enough to let me do it. What is she doing? She's coming up with a plan. She's not just sitting there waiting for something to happen. She's gonna go and make something happen and trust that God is gonna work on her behalf. Ruth chapter three, Naomi's talking to Ruth, do as I tell you. This is where, this is, this is the preparation for, for Ruth going to Boaz in the middle of the night. Do as I tell you, take a bath. Ladies, that's a good place to start. <laughs> Guys, that's a good place to start. Put on perfume. It's a good next step. Fellas, take off your sweatpants. Like, put on a nice pair of jeans. Dress up a little bit. Dress in your, in your nicest clothes. Very practical advice. A lot of wisdom coming from Naomi in this passage of text. Some of you should take notes. I'm not going to say which ones. Then she says, go to the threshing floor. Again, those of you that have somebody, listen. But don't let Boaz see you until he's finished eating and drinking. Ladies, you know there is a time to approach your husband with certain requests. 
And the best time is when he's done eating. <laughs> Wait till the Masters is over. Don't interrupt him in the middle of the game. Like if you want it to be a yes, Wait for the right time. And that's what Naomi is telling Ruth here. Wait till the time is right. Take a bath. Put on some perfume. Take off those workers' clothes. Put on a nice outfit. And then go to him once he's had his fill, once he's satisfied. Why? Because he'll be more receptive. He'll be more open. But what we're, the, the, the point I'm really trying to make here, <laughs> to get back to where we were, is she had a plan. They had a plan and they worked their plan. So many of us, we just want God to move miraculously and God's like, no, like come up with a plan. Put your hand to work, do something. If you're not doing, if you're not doing anything, God can't work providentially. He can't weave together his purpose with your action if there is no action. If you're standing still, God can't nudge you and lead you and guide you to where he wants you to be. You'll stay right where you are. Well, I don't know what to do. Take a step. Well, what if it's the wrong step? Trust God's providence. Well, I don't know where to go. Go somewhere. Well, what if it's the wrong place? God will get you back to where he wants you to be. Well, I don't know what to do with my life. Do something. But at the end of the day, know that God's providence and his favor and his blessing is working on your behalf. Use wisdom, seek godly counsel, develop a plan and work your plan. Do what you need to do. Do what you know to do and trust that God is going to do the rest. Trust in his providence. The second principle, second key that I want to encourage you with today is that God rewards faithfulness. He rewards faithfulness. We see in, in this story, it's, it's, a, it's a story of incredible faithfulness. God rewards Ruth's faithfulness to Naomi when Naomi says, no, you stay here. What's Ruth's response? No, I'm going where you're, go you're, you're going. I'm staying with you. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. Where you're buried, I'm going to be buried. Let nothing separate us other than death. She was faithful to Naomi. We see Boaz being faithful to the commands of generosity that God gave them before they even entered the promised land. We, we see Boaz as a, a faithful man, a righteous man, because when, when in a time of moral relativism in his nation, we're introduced to him greeting his workers by saying, the Lord bless you. He's a righteous man. And their response was, the Lord be with you. So, so God has these, these two people who have demonstrated characters of, of faithfulness and God is able to, to use that and he, he blesses that. A couple of weeks ago when we looked at Deuteronomy, we saw very clearly God telling them, if you're faithful and if you're obedient, there will be blessings that come upon you. But if you're disobedient, what's gonna happen? What's the opposite of blessing? Curses. There will be curses that come upon you. I don't know, some of us are like, well, that's Old Testament. God doesn't curse people. God doesn't, God doesn't send curses on people anymore. You sure about that? Because here, let me, let me put it to you this way. What does it mean to be blessed by God? To have his favor. Who said favor? Somebody said favor. To have the unmerited, unwarranted, undeserved favor of God upon our lives, him stretching out his hand of favor and keeping us, protecting us and blessing us. That is the definition of being blessed. When God's favor is moving on your behalf, if that's the definition of being blessed, then what's the definition of being cursed? For God to remove his favor from off of your life. So let me ask you this way. Could God today remove his favor from anyone's life? Yes. So does God still cause curses, the removal of favor, to come upon people? Yes. So how do I make sure that I'm not one of those people, but I'm one of those people? 
That I'm not a cursed person, but I'm, I'm walking in the fullness of the favor of God upon my life. That when I, when I walk into my workplace, there's just something about me. And it's not me, but it's God in me that people see. And it, it just kind of elevates me around people. And it's not because I'm, I'm prideful or boastful, but in my humility, as I've surrendered and submitted myself to God, he promotes me. That's the favor of God working on your life. How do I get that? Remain faithful. Be faithful. Be faithful to him. Be faithful to his word. Be faithful to your family. Be faithful to those around you. Be faithful to do what he's told you to do. Hebrews chapter 6. This is New Testament. God is not unjust. He will not forget how hard you've worked for him and how you've shown your love to him by caring for other believers. God's not going to forget your faithfulness. God's not going to forget. What does it mean to be faithful? Here's the definition. Here's Merriam-Webster's definition of faithful. Go ahead and put that up there. Faithful means to be remaining loyal and steadfast, reliable, or trusted. Does that describe you? When God looks at you, can he trust you? When God looks at you, are you, are you reliable? Are you steadfast? Do you remain in him? Do you remain in his word? As people closest to you look at you, would they say this about you? I can trust them. They're trustworthy. They're reliable. I can count on them for anything. What they say they're going to do, they're going to do. We have to get back to this point of living lives of faithfulness. We live in such a me first society and culture that wants to step up the rungs of the, the, the corporate ladder or the relationship ladder or this ladder or that ladder. And we don't care who we step on or over to get there because at least I get what I want. And God says, no, that's not the way that I've called you to live. If it was, Boaz wouldn't have been telling his boys to be dropping bundles of grain. If it was, the, the widows would have had no part, part in that harvest field. God says, I want you to look out for those. I want you to care for others. I want you to honor those around you. God will reward your faithfulness. And even when nobody sees it, trust that he does. When nobody notices your faithfulness, God notices. When it's hard to love, when it's hard to serve, he notices. When you wrestle in prayer for your family and for your friends, for those that are, are lost in our community, God notices. When you give with generosity and with open hands, he notices. When you do the right thing, even though it's not the easy thing, he notices. When you're true to your word and to his word, he notices. When you honor others above yourself, he notices. If you are faithful, God notices. And when you're faithful, he extends his favor and his blessings upon you. God is a rewarder to those who are faithful and to those who are obedient. How do I know how I should live? It's a good thing we're going through the Bible together. It's a good thing we're learning that together as we go along. So number one, we, we have to learn to trust in God's providence. Number two, we have to come back to living lives of faithfulness. And then the third thing I want to encourage you with today is that Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. And that, that word, kinsman, redeemer, it's the, the ancient Hebrew word, goel. He is, Jesus is our, he's our goel. Now, we have to understand context to understand what's going on. Ruth comes to him as a, as a widow, uncovers his feet, lays at his feet. He wakes up, doesn't know who it is. He says, who is it? She says, it's, it's me, it's Ruth. Will you spread your covering over me. Now, she wasn't just saying, can I have some covers? What she was, what she was saying was essentially, will you, will you be my redeemer? Will you marry me? Will you buy back Elimelech, who is now dead? Will you buy his land and with it everything that comes with it, which is me and Naomi? It's a proposal of marriage, but but notice how she does it by laying at his feet and submitting herself to his covering. It's the same thing in the New Testament when the Bible tells us to wives submit to our husband. 
We don't like that word. We think it's a demeaning word, a condescending word, but all that word in its original language means is to bring yourself under the covering of another. It carries with it the idea of standing under an awning or an umbrella during a rainstorm. And it's raining out here, but if I would submit and surrender and bring myself under the covering of another, that is where protection and comfort and safety is found. So submitting herself, laying at his feet, asking to be brought under his covering is this act of redemption because in their customs and in their context, what would happen is is if you had a blood relative who fell on hard times, if they had to sell their land, if they had to sell it to pay off a debt or or went into indentured servitude to pay off a debt as the, the closest blood relative, it was essentially your responsibility to buy back what they forfeited, to redeem, to be their family or kinsman redeemer. If you had a relative who was murdered, it was your responsibility to find justice for that act. If you had somebody who, let's say, let's say you had a brother and, and your brother passed away and he was married, it was your responsibility now to marry his wife to provide offspring so that your brother's name could live on. That's the idea. It was, it was taking care of those closest to you. So she comes to Boaz because she knows that he's related to Naomi and he's related to Elimelech because he's the one with the, the, the legal ability to redeem her and Naomi. So she comes to Boaz. Boaz agrees to it. And in chapter four, we see, we see what happens. Boaz, though, finds out there's somebody who's, close, who's closer related than I am. So in terms of the pecking order, there's this other guy who has the right of first refusal is essentially what's going on. So Boaz goes to the city gates, which is kind of the, the courtroom of the day. It's where everybody met. All the deals are made. He goes to the city gates, and here's what it says, verse 3. Boaz says to this guy, the family redeemer, he says, you know Naomi, who came back from Moab? She's, she's selling the land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. And I thought that I should speak to you about it so that you can redeem it if you wish. Since you are the, the, the one ahead of me, since if you want the land, then buy it here in the presence of these witnesses. But if you don't want it, let me know right away because I'm next in line to redeem it after you. The man replies, okay, I'll redeem it. Now kind of throws a wrench into his plan, right? Because he's wanting the land because with the land comes Ruth and Naomi. This other guy who has the legal right to it is like, yeah, sure, I'll buy it. So then Boaz says, of course. (laughs) Fine print. Of course, your purchase of the land from Naomi also requires that you marry Ruth, the Moabite widow. That way she can have children who will carry on her husband's name and keep the land in the family. The other man replies, I'm out. (laughs) He says, then I, I can redeem it. Because this might endanger my own estate. Translation, I already have a wife and kids. And one wife and three kids is enough for me. He says, I can't because it will endanger my own estate. You redeem the land. I cannot do it. So he says, perfect. Signs the, signs the paper. He redeems them. Let's go, let's go down to the end of this chapter. No, let's go verse 14. Next one. At the end of this, the the women of the town come to Naomi and here's what they say. Praise the Lord, who has now provided a redeemer for your family. Praise the Lord, because before you were homeless, you were without family, you had nowhere to go, you had no covering, you had no provision, but now the Lord in his providence has provided a redeemer for you. Again, I told you that this story is not a story about how to find your Boaz. It's not a story about how to find that special man or that special lady. This story is a foreshadowing. It is a picture of Jesus Christ as our kinsman redeemer. It's a story that starts with tragedy. In chapter one, we see the death of these three men from the beginning. It's tragedy and it's death. But at the end of the story, what do we see? We see a celebration and we see new life. 
We see her giving birth to Obed. It's a story that starts with loss and it ends with eternal gain. It's a story that, that starts with the loss of a family and the, and the, the end of the story is, is a new family formed. Isn't that how we are before Jesus Christ? See, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, then you know that your story started as a tragedy. It's a story of death, death to sin. We were slaves to sin. The wages of your sin and the wages of my sin is what? It's death is what the New Testament tells us. We deserved death. And the only way we could avoid that death was for somebody to be willing to come and pay the price to redeem us. What's interesting in this story is, is this other family redeemer, he was willing to pay the price for the land, but he wasn't willing to pay the price for Ruth and Naomi. He said, I'll take the land, but I don't want to take them. Jesus, though, for you and for me, was willing to pay the ultimate price. See, the price for you was blood. The price for my sin was blood. It was sacrifice. Somebody had to die and it was going to be me. And yet Jesus came as my redeemer and as yours and said, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'll pay the price. I'll take it upon myself. I'll buy them back. I will purchase them. Boaz redeemed Ruth and she went from being a widow to a bride. Jesus has redeemed us so that we can be the bride of Christ. Because Jesus paid the price for you, your story doesn't have to end in tragedy, but it can, it can end in triumph. It can end with family being grafted and adopted into his family to where now we can call on our heavenly father at any time. That's the beauty of this story. That's the beauty of what Jesus did. That is how we can be encouraged through the story of Ruth today because you are Ruth and I am Ruth and we all need somebody to redeem us and thank God that Jesus came as our redeemer to buy us back, to bring us into his family, to give us hope and new life and an inheritance to live in here and in the life to come. Amen? Amen. Stand with me this morning. This morning, I want to give you an opportunity to, to respond to the offer of redemption. If you're here today or you're watching online, and you have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, then you feel like you're going through life like Ruth, walking through that field, picking up the scraps that people are leaving behind, hoping to scrape enough together just to survive. There is more available to you. Jesus came and in John 10, he said that my purpose is to give you a life and a life more abundantly. With the Redemption of Ruth, she had what Boaz had. Now that field she was laboring in wasn't somebody else's field, but that was her field. When you're grafted into the family of God, what that means is you have access to everything that God has access to, which is anything and everything. Today, you might be like Ruth and Naomi sitting there with no covering and no protection and no provision. But what you need to know is that Jesus has already paid the price for you. He's already agreed to redeem you. He's already agreed to buy you back. He already gave up his life and rose again so that you can find new life in him. Today, if you haven't taken that step, you haven't made that decision and if you haven't made that commitment, I want to give you the opportunity to do so today. If you're here today with every head up and everybody looking around, if you're here today and you say, Pastor John, that's, that's me. I need to be redeemed. 
I need to be washed. I need to be cleansed. I want to be adopted into the family of God. Tired of trying to do it on my own, but today, from this day forward, I want to live for him. If that's you, would you be, be bold enough, courageous enough? I'm not going to I'm not going to call you for it. I don't want to embarrass you. I just want to pray with you where you are, but I want to know who I'm praying with. If that's you, would you, would you be strong enough just to raise your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, sir. Anybody else? You can put your hand back down. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Here's what we're going to do. Just bow your heads, close your eyes. I'm going to lead you in a very simple prayer. It's just a prayer of confession and a prayer of repentance. Accepting Christ as our Lord and Savior today. Just say, Jesus, thank you so much that you chose to redeem me. Thank you for the new life that I find in you. I confess I've sinned. I've made mistakes. I've messed up in the past. Would you lead me in your way according to your word from this day forward. I declare that you are the savior of my life and the Lord of my life. And I submit myself to you in Jesus' name. Let me pray for you today. God, I thank you. Thank you for those that prayed that prayer, God, whether it was the first time, the hundredth time. God, that's why we're here today. We're here today to to encounter life change in your presence. And whether it's the changing of our lives by, by being welcomed into your family and having our names written in your book of life and given an eternal hope and an eternal inheritance, we celebrate that. Even with the angels right now rejoicing in heaven over, over just one who comes to faith. Or God, if, if the life transformation for us today was was simply to trust in your providence, to develop a plan, to work our plan, to thank you for the miraculous, but, but to step out trusting that you'll act providentially on our behalf as well. Or if, if the life change for us was to, to come back to a life of faithfulness, being faithful to you, to your word, to our family, to our friends, to those around us. God, I trust that as we leave this place today, that none of us will leave unaffected, unchanged, or unchallenged by your word. But God, that we will all leave different than we were when we came in. We thank you for this time that we've had together. We thank you for, for speaking to us, for encouraging us, for challenging us today. Go with us this day. Go with us this week. Give us opportunities to invite others to Friday service, to, to, to Easter service next Sunday. God, that others would be able to experience what we found in you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. God bless you. Listen, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, our prayer team is down here. We'd love to encourage you, kind of give you next steps, what you need to do next. If you need prayer for anything, we're here to minister to you. If not, be blessed, be dismissed. Have a great week, church. Here at Dream City Omaha, we're all about three things, helping each other discover Christ, recover identity, or uncover purpose. We hope that this message helps serve one of those three goals, and we encourage you to check out our past sermon series and online classes, no matter where you are in your walk with Christ.